welcome to the Winning in Real Estate podcast with your host and CEO of Align Ventures, Arnold Olszewski. Join us as we speak with real estate pros about their experiences and learn the fundamentals of passive real estate investing. Together, we will unlock the secrets of achieving financial freedom by discussing proven strategies and building passive income through investing in real estate. Here's your host, Arnold Olszewski. Joining me today is Justin Moy. Justin is the managing partner of Realm Investors, a company that shows people how to invest passively in real estate. Justin is also the host of Passive Real Estate Strategies podcast, so make sure to check him out. Justin and his partners have over 55 years combined experience in the real estate industry. And prior to starting his journey into the world of real estate, Justin was an intelligence analyst for the Marine Corps Preserve. Justin, welcome to the show. How are you today? Hey, Arnold, this is uh, fantastic to be here. I'm super pumped to be to be doing the show with you. Uh, we're really happy to have you. Uh, one thing I do want to touch on for those listeners that may not know, give us a high level overview, bird's eye, 30,000 feet up in the air. What are real estate syndications and why should somebody invest in them? What are the benefits? Yeah. So a syndication is a really fancier term for essentially pooling together resources. So what we do is apartment building syndication primarily. And we're you know, doing some different strategies now, but just to keep it high level, um, most people understand apartments, right? And if you ever drive by this apartment and there's a couple hundred units, you know, it's pretty rare that one person owns that apartment. So I'll give you an example. Last year, we purchased a property that was just about $10 million, 144 units, $10 million. Now, if you're going to put down 25% as a down payment and you're going to have closing costs and legal fees, let's call those another 5%. Okay. You're looking at about 3 million bucks to close this deal. Now, most people don't have 3 million bucks to invest in a deal and people who do typically don't want to put that much cash into one thing. They value diversity. So what a group like us does is we, we say, Hey man, this is a really great deal. Um, we don't, want to or maybe have three million dollars ourselves but we have this big network of investors and so arnold if you were one of our investors we'd come to you and we'd say hey arnold we have this awesome deal it's 10 million bucks we're raising three million dollars for it here are the financial projections here's the business plan here's what we're going to do with the property um and in exchange for an investment and you'll break it down maybe it's 25,000 50,000 there's different minimums but it's not going to be three million right it's a, it's a much lower barrier to entry financially We'll say, you know, in exchange for your investment, you're going to be 100% passive. So beyond your investment and your initial due diligence on the team and the business and the market, there's no commitment of your time whatsoever after that. And you get equity in the property. So you get a share of all cash flow distributions. You get a share of all the uh, principal pay down. You get the tax benefits. When there's sales or refinances, you get a share of those profits. So I love that it is truly passive for people. I think a lot of people get into real estate thinking, oh, it's passive income. And they end up buying a couple of properties and they think, well, I'll hire a property manager to do everything. And you know, that's really not ever how it works. Now, it's more passive than other than you know, working a 40-hour job. You know, you don't want to invest time to managing a rental. So it allows people to leverage their strengths, stay in their lane and do their lane very, very extremely well, and leverage a team like us who does this every day, day in and day out. Like we will manage these properties better than the average retail investor. And so it allows everybody to leverage their strengths and allows investors to be truly passive in what they do. That's a that's a great explanation. And if we if we take it and compare it to let's say 
the stock market or other investment vehicles out there. Yeah. Let's say me as an investor, what what are some of the appealing aspects of investing into a commercial real estate syndication instead of putting yeah. my money into bonds, stocks, um, or or yeah. any other vehicle for that matter? Man, I think that's such a great question. And one thing I'll say is we'll compare it to stocks, right? Because that's kind of the, the generally accepted one. You know, my my disclaimer is always there's pros and cons to everything. Um, personally, I'm not a big stock market investor. If you look at the historical returns of the S&P 500, which is really your returns, nobody besides politicians beats the S&P 500, right? So those are kind of the returns that you're locked into. Historically speaking, depending on the time period you look at, you're looking at about 8% per year gross. So if you do better than 8%, there's actually a word for that in the public markets it's called achieving alpha. And it's so rare that it's a huge deal. So one thing that I don't like about the public markets is that you're essentially locked into being average and 8% honestly is not that good um, when you compare it to a lot of private investments. And to give you some perspective, we really don't pursue a deal unless we feel we can pretty conservatively hit, very conservatively hit 15%. Generally speaking, we're looking for closer to 20%. Depends on the circumstances, right? But you know, you're talking about essentially double. Uh, it's not even going to be worth us bringing it to investors unless it's going to hit double what the public markets do. Plus, I think you really have to understand why the stock market had was uh, and still is considered more of a conventional way of investing. It's because back when our parents were investing in their formidable financial years, you couldn't miss. The stock market in the 80s and the 90s, throughout the 80s and the 90s, had 13 years out of 20 years were double-digit gains. And then there was only, I think, two to three years of loss, and there were very small single-digit losses. So you couldn't lose. You were crushing it. But since then, since technology's taken over a lot of things, since the 2000s, your average annual return has really tanked because you're just not hitting it like that anymore. And so I think, you know, times need to change where people need to evolve and say, hey, maybe the stock market isn't the standard way of investing now. Um, there's also a lot of political motivations why people push the stock market because the country needed to uh, repair itself from, from wars and we needed a lot of stimulation from the private sector. But I, to me, I just don't see it as being a primary method of investing now from either a return perspective or a tax benefits perspective. There's a lot of tax benefits that come with real estate investing that you do not get with, with stock market investing. Absolutely. And, you know, I'm such a big fan of the asset class. Personally, in my opinion, I think for me, yeah. everybody uh, has a different financial situation. Uh, I mean, I have a little bit of a biased opinion. Uh, I put in over $10 million of personal capital into commercial real estate in the past two years yeah. alone. But in today's episode, I don't want to just talk about the upside of real estate syndications, which you and yeah. I both know there's a lot from tax benefits to owning physical hard assets to the Keep fact me. that we have such a huge housing shortage and just based on simple supply and demand dynamics. I mean, yeah. it's going to it's going to be really hard to lose unless you become over leveraged and you're kind of a cowboy yeah. out there. But, you know, I always want to take and look at the other side as well. Um, for somebody looking to invest in this type of a vehicle, what would you say are some of the downsides or some of the things that they should look out for before yeah. th they put their money in? Yeah, that, that's huge. So there's a couple of big things that everybody needs to understand before they do something like this. First is 
Would you compare it to the stock market, right? A syndication is an illiquid investment. So it's not like the stock market where you trade in, you trade out. And, oh, if you need the cash, okay, I'll just go back in and grab it. Usually there's going to be a minimum hold period. Most of the time it's projected to be five years. Could be longer, could be shorter, but that's a pretty comfortable average time period. And if you do need to exit that investment, generally speaking, you're not going to exit it at cost. You're going to take a little bit of a haircut. So you need to be comfortable and it's not, and it's still not guaranteed, but you need to be comfortable having that money locked up for a certain period of time. So that is the number one biggest thing that you need to be comfortable with. The number two thing, when you're looking at deals, the primary thing that you're going to focus on is who is the operating team or who are the general partnerships on that deal? Who is actually managing the deal? What is the business plan? Have they done this business plan before? Do they work with this asset class before? Just because I do value add multifamily does not mean that I can manage effectively nice class A multifamily. They're just totally separate business plans, totally separate infrastructures needed, completely different teams of contractors and, and managers and everything is completely different. Even if you're in the same asset class, you go to different markets. There's going to be growing pains to all of those deals, all those first-time deals. So you really need to know that team's experience, how they operate, and why you feel comfortable giving them your money. Because at the end of the day, you are a passive investor. And although that's a pro, it could also be a con if who you're picking to manage that money is not hitting the way that you feel they should be hitting the marks. So almost all of your due diligence is, should be done up front on the operating team, what their track record looks like, what's their organization look like. Who are they? Who are you talking to? Is it an employee? Is it an actual partner? Is it the person who signs the loan? Like, who is this person? And really, what's their team look like? I go through so many due diligence questions on my show that you mentioned in the in the intro passive real estate strategies because it is just so important. You got to vet the sponsors who you're investing with. So that those are the two biggest things is you got to recognize that this is an illiquid investment. And the second thing is it is passive, which is a pro. But it could be a con if you're not giving your money to somebody who is well vetted. Absolutely. Absolutely. And to summarize what we discussed today a little bit is syndications, how they work, essentially people pooling their money together to be able to buy larger scale assets so they can achieve economy of scale. Um, They could buy more doors at once or more office space or whatever the asset class may be. And then there is a general partner, which is usually referred to as a GP. And then there are the LPs, the limited partners. So as as a core structure, now the general partners are going to go find the deal, manage the deal, dispose of the deal, deliver the profits to the investors and so on. Yes. Uh, Now we spoke a little bit about also some of the things people should look at when they're looking at a general partner. What's their track record? What did they do before? And so on. Years in the business, what's the asset class they're focusing on versus what did they do in the past 10 years? Yeah. What, what about deal-specific questions an investor should know, right? Yeah. So when an investor understands and is comfortable with the operating partner and he wants to move forward, what would you say are the top three things that an investor should ask about the deal to see if it makes sense to him or her? Yeah. And and just as you were saying that, I I remembered some other really, really big, important questions you got to ask the operator. Then I'll dive into the deal right after that. Uh, One thing that I would ask everybody to ask is out of the investors who do not invest with you, besides lack of liquidity, what's the number one reason? Mm. 
That's a huge question. I don't hear it asked that often. I, I do dozens of investor calls a week. And I really get asked that. The only people who ask that are people who listen to my show. And it's it's one of the questions that I go over, but that's huge. I want to know why people choose not to invest with you. And that reason may or may not be a big deal to you, but it also lets me know if this person knows why they're collecting feedback and they take their business very seriously and they treat it like a real business. This is not a hobby for them. So I, I love asking those questions. Um, and really, yes, their track record is important. I want to know how their team is structured. I want to know how many people are on it. I want to know who the partners are. And I want to know um, how much money they're putting into the deal. Now, this is just a personal preference. I, I don't invest with people who are solo operator, meaning it's just, hey, one guy or one girl, even if they're very, very capable. Um, in Kevin O'Leary's words of Shark Tanks, what happens if you walk out here and you get hit by a bus? I just don't like that. I like to see a little bit of infrastructure, um, but those are those are big due diligence questions to ask as well. But getting into the deal, the number one killer of your deal in this space is going to be your debt, the loan. The second you are signing off on the operator saying, okay, hey, Arnold's a great guy. I believe in his team. He knows his stuff. I'm confident that him and his team can deliver this for me. And and guy like Arnold, you send them the deal. The first thing I'm going to do, I'm going to zip right through it and go right to your debt page. I want to see what kind of loan we have on this property. The things you want to look for most, especially now, first thing is fixed or floating rate. A lot of deals in the past couple of years have been signed on with floating rate because floating rate was just so attractive. I mean, the terms were so good. You almost foolish not to take them. And we take floating rate loans, right? It's not the end of the world. But if it's floating, I need to know if there's been a rate cap. Not having a rate cap is going to be one of the biggest things that's going to crush your deals. So is there a rate cap? If there is a rate cap, which there should be, if there's not a rate cap, I'm not, I'm already out. But if there is a rate cap, what is that rate cap? And what are the returns look like at that cap? So if you sign on a loan and it's a 5% loan, variable rate, but the rate cap you purchase is at 7%. Okay, that's not the end of the world, but what does this deal look like at 7%? Does it still make sense for us? If it does, perfect. We'll go on to the next part, which is what's the term of the loan? Forced sales are another huge thing. Most sales are forced in commercial real estate because of the loan. A lot of times, especially if you're what we're doing, what we call adding value, where you're going to take some kind of short-term loan, maybe you're going to buy an apartment building, fix it up, and then either refinance or sell it off in a couple of years. A lot of times they're short rate, short term loans. A common structure you'll see, you might see the numbers two plus one plus one. Pretty common structure. What that means is the initial loan is two years, and then you have the option to extend it by one year. That's the first plus one. And then by another year, that's the second plus one. I love to see extensions in loans. Typically, they cost you about a point. But if you are extending a loan because the market's not right for you to sell or you're not done with your rehab or your construction yet, that point is going to save your deal. So I'm always looking for the debt. Is it fixed or, or floating? If it's floating, is it capped? If it's capped, what rates it capped at and what's it look like when we're at that cap? And the second thing is, what are the terms on the loan? I need to see some type of extensions on there, and that's going to make the loan a lot safer than if it's just a straight, hey, 18 month, 24 month, 12 month, and you're in and you're out. The shorter term the deal is, the more risk you incur. 
So I'd like to see the opportunity to dilute that risk. So those are some of the biggest ones you got to do. The bulk of your due diligence to me is on the operator and on the debt of the deal. You know, and I'm, I'm glad you brought up the debt because it's a perfect segue into the next topic that I wanted to discuss with you, mm-hmm. which is the current state of the market, which has yeah. been significantly influenced <laughs> by all yeah. of these, all of this floating debt that a lot of people took and some people became over leveraged thinking yeah. that the skies were gonna, always going to be blue. Uh, yeah. But I, I'd like for you to talk about it a little bit. Um, maybe you can share what's going on and what you're seeing as the current state of the market um, in terms yeah. of um, pricing, sentiment, and uh, just overall direction and also where you see it in the next three years. Yeah. So man, debt, it it has brought the sky down for some people and I don't think it's over. Um, so there's a property in Houston. I mean, it's been making headlines of everybody who's in the investing space has seen these 3,200 units in Houston that, that got foreclosed on because again, they didn't have a rate cap. So their rate on a $290 million loan, I think it went from you know three, four to like 8% or something like that. So like almost tripled. Wow. So, you know, the sky fell for those people and they lost everything. Every dollar that investors put in, they, they lost on that deal. So <clears throat> that's like D-Day in this industry. It's not terribly common statistically, but it you can see now it happens. Right now, what debt has done to a lot of people that were not savvy enough to buy the rate caps to underwrite their deals at the, max, at the maximum rates and don't have extension opportunities is you're seeing more cash calls right now to essentially keep, keep deals above water. And I think over these next probably two years, we're going to see more distressed debt come due and a lot more distressed sales than we have in the past. We're seeing now rent prices are starting to soften, which I know this sounds unusual, me being a real estate investor. I'm excited for rents to soften. I think everybody has a heart and you have to understand that people can't pay this anymore. You know, There's people in class C housing in these very hot metros that they're getting pushed up to 45, 50, 55% of their income for rent. You know, their car tire goes flat. You're not going to get your rent that month. Um, so, you know, I think we need this softening. And there were a lot of people who were not planning on a market softening. They were planning on the market to keep climbing. They didn't do their research on what are happening with incomes in this area. Can can our market even afford from a mathematical perspective to keep paying more? That answer for a lot of people is no. We're seeing that in decreasing rents right now in certain areas. And they're decreasing, but they're decreasing from double digit gains, right? So in the grand scheme of things, they're not plummeting. The sky's not falling, but we knew that this wasn't sustainable. So now we're starting to see that market soften. We're starting to see a lot of that artificial inflation of pricing because of COVID assistance has dried up and and the market's starting to pull back. Um, And over the next three years, we're going to see fewer deals come to market because the market rates are up. People, if they don't need to sell, they'll probably wait for things to calm down a little bit. But the deals that you do do will probably be better. They'll probably be more motivated in their sale, probably be a little bit more distressed to, to, for buyers to take advantage of. And those types of things excite me as a buyer and they excite me as an investor and they should excite you as a, as a listener as well who's looking to get into the space. You know, like the old quote says, right? You buy when there's blood on the street. You know, that might sound yeah. a little harsh. I'm not yeah. the one that, I'm not the one that came up with it, but it's it's a yeah. motto that, you know, when the sky's falling down, usually there's a lot of opportunity. And um I, I want to get your take on 
how you see that opportunity that's that's going to be on the horizon in the next three to five years because of all of the distress that's going on in the market and how people could potentially benefit from that opportunity. Yeah, you got to stay active. You always hear, you know, the best time to plant a, a tree was 10 years ago. The second best time is now, you know, is today, you know, a, a end of April in 2023 is today day going to be the day that you find your the best deal ever? Probably not. But if you're looking at deals every single day, if you're networking with operators every single day, if you're getting on, you know, guys like me or you, our email list and looking at deals that we come out, you know, you're going to start to see those things. So start building that pipeline. And I know you're a sales guy and I'm, a, I'm an old school sales guy too. Your pipeline your blood. So if you're an investor, you're, it's no different. It's about your pipeline of opportunities. You're probably not going to drive down the street, see a killer deal, walk in and buy it. You got to have a full pipeline of deals. So you have to be extraordinarily well-researched right now. We've never invested in office space. I don't think we will just because we handle other people's money. I don't think it's right that we're going to not specialize in something. But if I was starting brand new, I would start researching office space you are seeing huge discounts on office right now and a lot of political motivation to force people back in office so there's a lot of sentiment or thought that this is very short term and a majority of people are going to be headed back in office there's a lot of economic motivation for that for politicians to to push for that and we're seeing it in some of these big cities where they are now removing remote work and putting everybody back in office full time so you have to look at these different opportunities that are coming up and the only way you find opportunities is by being extraordinarily well-researched and looking at the numbers of the, the industry, the asset class you want to dive into. Are there some key indicators that you can tell our listeners that they should keep an eye out for to see how the industry is trending? Obviously, there's been some turmoil, some opportunities are created, but are there any key metrics that you're tracking that you would also advise other people to, to have their finger on the pulse and 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 look at as well. Yeah, so it, it's all going to depend on what asset class you're going into. So, so let's say it's multifamily. One thing that not a lot of people put enough emphasis on is going to be the pipeline of new units versus your net migration. What that means is, yes, there are some cities that are booming with new people coming in, but they're also booming with new development. So you have to look at what those numbers are. There's other towns that are a little bit smaller that still have net population gains, but they're not the big sexy cities in America that a bunch of developers are flooding into. So from a supply demand dynamic, you can actually get more favorable supply and demand in other markets. I love the Midwest. I'm out here in Kansas City because this was the number two city uh, last year in rent growth. And it's because there's people migrating here, incomes are growing, but there's not as much new development and housing to meet incoming demand of people and rising wages here so you can you want to look at how the supply and demand how supply and demand is going to shift either in or out of your favor and then if you're going to go into something else like offices or data centers data centers a new sexy asset class that i think is going to be the next big boom that we see because you have to look around you i mean ai is blowing up exponentially just in the past like two weeks every time you open your phone there's a new ai that's just been announced um, and it's working like really really well all of those take data centers and data centers cannot build fast enough to meet the demand of even just the amazon and the facebook's of the world's data center needs so Keep an eye on what's going on with the world. Another big one too is industrial properties. 
there's research that says China will not be the production superpower it is now by 20, I think it's 2040 or 2030, because they have this big gap in working age people. So the theory is all of that production is going to go to South America, which is going to boost properties of industrial warehouses across the southern border. I mean, you just really have to dive into these niches, dive into something that interests you. Like if you don't care about data centers, don't do it just because it's the next class or you think it, it might happen. Because if you don't love it, you're going to not like, you're going to just fall off on it. So you have to pick a niche and just dive into it. Look for the indicators of what you're investing in. If it's going to grow or if it's going to stabilize or if it's going to decline. I want to get your sentiment yep. on what you forecast rent growth to be and and possibly some other things that investors should look at and say, hey, does this deal really pencil? Yeah. Does this deal really make sense for me to put my money in? Yeah. So we don't do more than 3% no matter what. Um, to me, historical performance is not indicative of future performance. We're seeing that now. And there's two really, really, really big levers that can be manipulated in a deal to make, like you said, any deal look good. The first is going to be just like you said, the organic rent growth. Now it's different if you're saying, hey, these are undervalued rents and we're going to renovate it after we renovate it. This will be the rents. You know, that's different because you're forcing that and you're creating a better product. But if you're saying, hey, the market rents for this property is, you know, 500 bucks and we think it'll grow by 10% next in the next year. Okay. It, it might, but what happens is if you miss those projections early on, those numbers compound on top of each other. So if you project 10% year one, 5% year two, okay, you're going from 500 to 550 and now you're building off of 550. And if you miss and it's really 3%, okay, that's, that's probably, I think like 20 bucks. Now you're compounding off of a smaller number. So if you miss those projections early on and you're projecting five years out, okay, you're really going to miss the rest of your projections by quite a bit. So the rent growth metric is one and your exit cap rate is another. Those are two of the biggest levers that can be put. If I say I'm going to sell anything at a two cap or three cap, any deal will look good. It'll, I'll look like a genius. But you have to really understand what is the market cap rate for this area that we're in. And again, keep in mind, nobody knows what's going to happen to interest rates in the future, which do correlate with cap rates. So is this a conservative exit for us? Is 5%, 6% conservative? What's the stress test say? What if we have to sell it at 7%? What will happen then? 7.5%. What does that look like? And so really picking what you're comfortable with, but just know that if an operator wants to make a deal work, the rent growth, especially early on in their projections and the exit cap rate are two of the biggest levers that they can pull to make that happen. In, in regards to exit cap rate, what would you say a, a good rule would be in today's market for people to assume? So if if they're going into a six cap market, just, an, just a good question, uh, a passive investor can ask a general partner uh, to, to, stress, yeah. to stress test um, their underwriting of the deal. So if you know they're buying the property at a six cap today and they're planning on exiting that property in five years, what do you feel the exit cap rate should be? Yeah. Uh, so a, a rule of thumb that a lot of people use is they'll do a basis point per year. So if you're at a six right now and you're going to exit in five years, they'll say, I, I, I'm going to project this exit at a 6.5. So, but you also have to think about 
the market cap rate for that area, not necessarily the cap rate you're buying the property at. It could be that you're buying the property maybe at a four cap because there's a lot of value to be added to it because you really see a lot of opportunity with here because you think the market will continue to appreciate. There's other reasons why you may not buy at the market cap rate. But if now you start building your model off of what you bought as the cap rate, and let's say you bought at a 4% and, and but the market's really at six, and then you use that rule and you say, okay, we bought at a four, we'll exit at a four and a half. Well, now you're going to miss the mark by quite a bit. So really understand what the market cap rate is. Is that basis point per year still viable as a, as a rule of thumb? I think it is. I think over the past you know year or two years where, or I'm sorry, the past year where rates have really shot up, I don't think anybody really expected rates to really triple in like 12 months. So I think that was a little bit less usual, but I, I like to see that cap rate metric grow um, because if you're projecting it to decrease, that means that you're essentially projecting the market to do the work for you. And I don't like to see projections like that. That's really, really good advice. And and I, I agree with your sentiment. Absolutely. You know, some people feel that the exit caps might be a little lower in five years because interest rates are high right now, but you'd rather be safe than sorry. And still uh, assume yeah. interest rates are going to stay where they are in five years. Don't, don't bet on interest rates going back down. And if they do, that's just going to be additional gravy um so i i i love i love that advice justin so to to summarize a little we we spoke about quite a lot and a couple of points you know, we spoke about in general high level what are syndications how do they work what's the role of the operating partner what's the role of the limited partner uh what the limited partner should be looking for um yeah. before before they invest with a group what a limited partner should be looking at when they look at a particular deal. We also spoke a little bit about the state of the market and some of the opportunities coming. Is there anything else that we didn't discuss that you feel is is something worthy to point out? Yeah, I think, you know, so much of this business is built on information. Um, a lot of people out there, you know, if you're listening, no matter where you're at in your investing journey, uh, you know, I always say um, learning isn't something you did, it's something you do. It doesn't matter if you're brand new and you've never done a deal or you've got 10,000 doors. I, I, you have to keep learning in this industry. You have to keep on the cutting edge of what's going on in the markets, um, financial markets, the social, I mean, social markets, what's going on in society where are people valuing different things um, and just keeping your finger on the pulse of everything you're investing in. Yes, you're a passive investor if you want to give somebody else your money and have them run the deals. But at the end of the day, it is still your money. And operators are not perfect people. You have to make sure you're just as bought into the mission and the deal and them as as they are. So keep at your education. The absolute best way to do it, things just like this, listening to this podcast, um, join in a bunch of newsletters. I'll, I'll, I'll put a link to sign up for our newsletter in the show notes because we put out content every week, looking at bigger pockets, just looking, just absorbing a ton of different stuff. And then after the course of a couple of weeks, couple of months, a year or two, you're going to have a really good sense of what's going on and feel a lot more comfortable making these decisions with your money. That's really fantastic advice and always, always learning, always evolving and, and understanding a little more. Um, Justin, thanks for that. Uh, I want to go into some of our closing questions. And the first yeah. one that I want to ask you is what principle do you feel is most important to be successful in life and in business? Man, 
I always say, um, you are what you repeatedly do and how you do anything is how you do everything. I think those are huge in, in business, in life, in building relationships. Um, and if it's worth doing, it's worth doing to the best of your abilities. If there was one piece of advice you want our listeners to walk away with today, what would that be? Yeah, knowledge is power. Um, I think a lot of these shows and a lot of the questions we covered today are actually meant to help you avoid really bad deals and really bad decisions. Because there's a lot of ways, you know, sometimes the best deals that you do are actually the deals that you don't do. Because um, it's it's much more difficult to recover from loss of money than it is to just gain a little bit in deals. Um, so I want you to walk away with hey some of the red flags to look for in ways that we can prevent you from getting into bad deals because that is going to be what really keeps you alive in this game. And how can listeners find you? Yeah, so the absolute best resource is if you are a passive investor or want to learn more about that, I have a free ebook for you. It's called The Definitive Guide to Passive Real Estate Strategies. I walk through syndications, I walk through funds, I walk through REITs, I walk through pros and cons of all the different types of passive strategies. You can download that at thedefinitiveguidebook.com. Once you do that, you'll get an email with me, my info on it, and then you can reach out about anything real estate investing related, not real estate investing related, whatever it is. Um, and you'll have my contact info there as well. That's fantastic. We're also going to have that available in our show notes as well. So our listeners can go and we'll have all of Justin's contact information as well as a link to get his ebook. So with that said, Justin, again, I, I want to thank you for your time today. It was an absolute pleasure. I, I really love the way you were able to break down things in, in such a digestible fashion. Uh, but still provide the necessary detail and insight for people to kind of understand some of the ins and outs of what's going on. So it was um, it was truly a pleasure. Once again, want to really thank you for coming on today and look forward to chatting with you soon. Yeah, thanks for having me. This was fantastic. Thanks so much. Thank you for joining. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a five-star review share this podcast with someone you think can benefit from it, and also follow and subscribe. One last thing, if you'd like to use us as a resource for anything real estate related, whether it's a second opinion on an opportunity you're analyzing or looking to explore new opportunities, we're here to help. Whether you do business with us or not, our company philosophy is to deliver as much value as possible and help people make better financial decisions. Book a strategy call with us today by visiting Invest av.com forward slash contact. We will discuss your investing goals, our investment opportunities, and share valuable insights as to what we see in the market today. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action.